Seeds going out. Strawberry shortcake. You can read that. Strawberry shortcake. Uh, Dark Horse uh, Live at gmail.com is where you need to email. Fifth person to email Strawberry Shortcake tonight. Gonna win that sucker right there. Who's on the guest? Who's on the show tonight, folks? None other than the man, the myth, the legend, Tommy Chong. Here's a custom strain that we bred for Tommy Strong. Uh, Tommy Chong, uh, Squirrel Master Kush, autographed little jar sticker. If you want this jar sticker, Dark Horse Genetics Live um, at gmail.com. Fifth person to email uh, Tommy Chong. Gonna win that fucker right there, right off the bat. How about this? Tommy Chong, 80th birthday party. We was lucky enough to attend. We all got these custom pipes. I don't know how you can ever get these unless you went to the party. Tommy Chong Pipe. It's pretty fucking sweet. Um, Tommy Chong Pipe. Fifth person to email. Dark Horse Genetics Live. Uh, gmail.com wins. We give away something else at the end of the show, but I want to get right into it because this is a pretty dope interview. I will say um, my man Tommy doesn't exactly know how to use the uh, FaceTime. He's got the phone sort of up in the face. You might get a little uh, up the nose shot, a few of these, a few of these shots with a Tommy interview, but uh, I think this interview is pretty epic. Uh, so uh, without further ado, let's just get right the fuck into it, huh? Tommy Chong. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tommy Chong. Welcome to the program today, Tommy. I really appreciate you doing this with us. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for your question. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have some questions for you. Um, First of all, on this show, normally how we do this show is we just ask everybody to start right at the beginning. Can, do you remember the first time you smoked pot? Can you tell us about the first time you smoked pot? I was 17 years old. <clears throat> I was in a jazz club in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. A friend of mine, a jazz uh, bass player, came up from, he'd been uh, vacationing in, uh, in California, in Los Angeles, so he Came back to Calgary. This is 19, I guess, 57, 56. No, 1956. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Uh, everything stopped. And then, uh, <clears throat> so he gave me a joint, and a big, stinky uh, California joint, and a Lenny Bruce record. And so I put the joint in my pocket, <laughs> and he lit one of his own. And I learned a little trick then, you know. OPs, you know, other people's, and so, <laughs> and so, um, I toked up for the first time, and I listened to a tune by Ornette Coleman called uh, "Lonely Woman," and it changed my life. <laughs> I, I quit school the next day. <laughs> nice. Um, that brings me to uh, growing. Have you ever grown pot? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. A couple of times, accidentally, you know, just throwing <laughs> the seeds outside. Next thing you know, I got a, a little garden going. But oh yeah, I've been growing. I, I grew, didn't grow any in Canada. 
uh, I didn't know how to grow then, but I, I grew uh, quite a bit here. And then I had a, a guy that worked for me, a house, you know, a guy that took care of the house, handyman. He grew 40 plants for me in uh, Bel Air without me knowing. <laughs> nice. I got you. I follow you. Um, yeah. So uh, what I want to kind of go next is uh, back when you uh, pick it up when you're like 27 years old, tell me about Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's in the elegant parlor club in Vancouver. Well, uh, what instrument did you play? And tell me about this. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm a guitar player. I've been a guitar player all my life. Actually, I, I, I'm not really a guitar player because I don't study. I only, <laughs> I only used to practice when I played the gig, you know. Gotcha. In between numbers, I'd ask him, huh? hey, what's the chords? Um, but I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old, and then... I started playing rhythm and blues around that time. Actually, I was about 16 when I started playing the blues. And then um, I had a band. We got kicked out of Calgary because we were so good. We attracted all the hoodlums to our dances. And so we got kicked out to uh, Vancouver. And then we had another singer, uh, Tommy Milton, my first partner. And then uh, he quit. And then we ended up finding Bobby Taylor and Bobby Taylor was a legend in you know in uh, the soul uh, world down in the states he had a record years ago called been so long by the pastels it's still you can still get it and he sings lead on it but it uh, he was about I guess young he was about maybe in his teens maybe 17 18 when he sang that song but Bobby was a legend and uh, and when he, oh, and we called him up, not for singers. We went, we needed a drummer. And Bobby Taylor can play drums. And so Bobby says, hey, I can play drums. And so he, he first uh, joined the band as a drummer and a singer. But he sang so well that all the good drummers in town came out. And eventually Bobby was just in front of the microphone. Gotcha. So in like 1966, you guys catch a break and get a contract to Motown Records and you move to Detroit. What what was Motown like in Detroit? Oh, Detroit itself was like still smoldering after the riots. I mean, the whole city was like a, like a war zone. And, uh, and Motown was right in the center, right in the center of the, of the ghetto. In fact, we almost had to have an armed guard to walk us into Motown because the exactly. crime and, and it was so dangerous around there, especially with our band. Because <laughs> we we started out with, with Bobby Taylor when we got discovered, it was a black band. But then the, the all the guy uh, Leroy and and uh, Freddie, our drummer and organ player, went down went home to celebrate our signing with Motown. And then when, he, when they tried to get back into Canada, immigration stopped them because they, uh, they had records. Uh, and, and so we had to replace the black band with the white band, <laughs> which we did, uh, all Canadians. And then when Motown or when the feds found out that we were in Motown illegally, we got deported. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> gotcha. So that, that leads me to 1967. You're back in Vancouver at the Shanghai yeah. Junk Nightclub in Chinatown which is a, a nightclub that your brother, I believe, Stan, and your family founded. Um, tell yeah. us about that. I, I read an article that says you guys hosted psychedelic nude paint and dance happenings. What was 1967 like in Vancouver at the Shanghai Junk Club? <clears throat> well, they were really sticky about, uh, uh, you know, topless dancers. In fact, they, they made it illegal unless you had... Uh, 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 pasties on the nipples of the titties and so 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 to get around that we had nude uh, body painting and so, so so the dancers would you know symbolically get painted uh in front of the crowd and then go on to her act uh you know naked mostly naked and uh and and that's where we met but we met bobby in a in a strip club in san francisco and so when bobby came up he actually had uh, Baby Jane, one of the top stars, come up to dance uh, in, in our in our uh, strip club. But then, uh, when I got fired from Motown and Bobby Taylor, Bobby stayed in Motown. I came back to the club and realized that uh, I, I'd been into improvisational humor, you know, after seeing Second City and the committee, and so I changed the whole uh, strip club into a improvisational club. And uh, that's where I met Cheech. Sure. 
Um, that leads me into tell me about the missing third member of Cheech and Chong. I've heard this from me before, but there was another guy that was with you and Cheech, and uh, he got a little too famous for his liking. You want to tell that story briefly? <laughs> well, he was a straight man. Actually, he wasn't with Cheech and I. He was with another partner I had, Dave Graham. And, and that was before Cheech. Cheech actually replaced him. His name was Rick Lenz. And when I changed the club from a, a strip club into, a, into an improvisational club, I attracted the, the uh, theater world, including, uh, uh, you know, the critics and, uh, and the actors and, so, and, and the audience. And so we ended up uh, having a straight man because Dave and I were both long-haired uh, hippies. And, and uh, Rick Lenz was a straight, short-haired cop because we always needed someone to be the, you know, play the cop. And, and that uh, was uh, Rick's job until uh, we made the front page in the, in the Vancouver Sun. And it was a picture of Rick with uh, two strippers on either side of him with their titties in his face. And so Rick's wife uh, took offense to that. And, and we never saw Rick again. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> uh, this guy that owned a, a, a hippie paper called Poppin', he was Russian, and he, he, he was a big fan of the show. And so he ended up uh, coming up to me and saying, hey, I know a guy that would be perfect for the uh, your act. And um, he introduced me to Cheech. And of course, the rest is history. Sure. So in the 70s, you guys moved back down to L.A. And there's something I want to talk to you about in the 70s. I read that you guys used to play prisons as a venue. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, we played... Uh, I think we played every prison in California, every one. As the Cheech and Chong Act, as the Stoner Act, you would go in there and the warden would guys let you guys play that act or do that act. Oh, they loved us. Oh, <laughs> man. Law enforcement loved us because we depicted everything as real, you know. And we weren't, it wasn't us against them. It was us with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Gotcha. And, uh and so the prisons, oh, yeah. Well, it, I think it started off with, um, there's a famous Brazilian uh, uh, percussionist named uh, uh, Ayrton Moreno, and he had played, and his wife was uh, a singer, and she she was doing time in jail at Terminal Island. And so we, uh, you know, we pulled some strings and we got to perform at Terminal Island. And it was such a, a success, you know, the prisoners loved us. And everybody loved us. And so then uh, the word got out. And next thing you know, we're playing uh, uh, St. Louis Obispo. We played, oh, we played San Quentin. <laughs> that was a trip, man. man. That was really a trip because they never searched us when we went in. And we, did, we do a bit called uh, uh, Reverend Dyke. And that's when I play like a, a evangelist a healer. And and uh, and I get a girl on stage, and at, at this point, we there's a stripper that would open up <laughs> that uh, performed before we went on. So I had the stripper come out. This is in San Quentin now, <laughs> and and uh, and Cheech comes running through the curtains uh, uh, with with a sword, a big sword, and he's like he's going to uh, attack the girl. And I pull out a I pull out a, a forty five, a blank forty five, wow. and I shoot. Shoot, shoot, Cheech. Now, this is in the middle of San Quentin. And usually when I shoot Cheech, there's a big roar. Everybody laughs. And it's, it was, a, you know, like a, a show. But when I did that in San Quentin, everything got quiet. <laughs> and, and when I went backstage, I got attacked by all the, about two guards. You know, they just jumped on me and they grabbed the gun out of my hand. And sure. They went, then, then they looked through our, our luggage and all they found was pot. <laughs> they didn't find any, any weapons and all they were looking for was weapons. And so when we, uh, and, and, <laughs> and then they, uh, uh, well, they didn't shut the show down. We kept the show going, and then after the show, uh, you know, the warden—not the warden, but the guy that put it on—he was a little shaken because uh, he says, "Man, you should have told us you had a gun <laughs> <laughs> and weed, maybe." Yeah, it was a, it was a, no, the weed didn't—they didn't care. That's that's, that's like crazy. a commodity in, in in all prisons, but the the gun that was a no-no. Sure, that's crazy <laughs> to me. Um, so up in smoke comes out of. Cult classic, wild, crazy. You know, everyone knows this movie, but there's something interesting about this movie. The um, 
there's a narc there's a, a that you came into in your life who goes by the name of maybe I got this right Abe Stanenko um, and you wanted to make Stadenko, this yeah, yeah. you wanted to make this guy famous and narc is something that's kind of come up on this show recently tell us what can you give us a narc story of this guy and why you decided to sure. do that well there Abe Stadenko was was like a, a a crusader you know he was trying to eliminate pot from the from the face of this earth and uh, he used to bust hippies and, and anybody that dealt with weed. And he used to sit outside our club and wait for us to come out to smoke, get high. And then he, a couple of times he almost busted, you know, a couple of the guys, you know, a couple of musicians. But we always managed to, you know, the, we were young. <laughs> we were young and we knew what what signs to look for. And so we used to, we had a little place inside the club where we in the furnace room where we'd, we could see the cops outside and we'd sit there and smoke, watch the cops look for us. Anyway, Abe uh, was notorious. He busted a little kid that lived at our house one time and they busted in my my folks' house and they jacked my father against the wall. And, you know, they're looking for a dealer. You know, he was, he was selling dime bags <laughs> to his friends, you know, and he did a year in jail. And so when we were looking for a, a name of a of a adversary, Abe Stadenko came to my mind. I said, "Well, we'll call him Stadenko," uh, you know, after that cop. And 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 so we made Abe so famous <laughs> that they had to transfer him out of uh, Canada, to, and he spent most of his career in Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love that story. Um, so. Uh, was talking of Cheech and Chong albums, is that I mean this is probably a hard question for you to answer, but is there a favorite skit on your albums? I grew up listening to them, and uh, every Christmas we hear this Santa skit, and it's a ritual as much as a Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation is for us. It's uh, is there a favorite a skit for you? Well, anyone that I can remember, you know, like <laughs> someone will they'll, they'll say, "Hey, how about this bit?" They bring. I guess the, the the most famous skit was Dave's not here. Sure. You know, I, I, that, that was our first bit we ever, that was our first uh, venture into comedy uh, because we didn't really have any experience doing any comedy records or anything. And so we were rehearsing this bit and it was the only time we ever rehearsed. <laughs> and, and so we used to play tricks on each other when we would rehearse or anything or do anything, you know, how guys are like your, your brothers, you know, you just, and so, uh, when Cheech got locked out of the, the nice, cool air conditioned studio and he's out in his hot sun banging on the door, trying to get in, I wanted to see how long I could keep him out there. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every, every time I think about it. I laugh because, it, and and he 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 tried to alter the story. He said, "Oh, that was part of our act," but it was never part of our act. I to this day I, I still laugh because he was out there banging on the door, and I did everything I could to keep him out there. <laughs> gotcha. Um, let me ask you this: uh, You got you and Cheech did a show in Vegas. I believe this was in the seventies at the Aladdin. Um, yeah. Tell me about working in Vegas, and I believe I mean '70s Vegas was pretty mob Vegas. Like, do you have any crazy Vegas stories? Oh, a few. The the Vegas um, that we worked at, we we would they would put us on at two in the morning, <laughs> and that was so that all the uh, the dealers and every you know all the late all the performers actually could come to our show. The you know the straight you know the Dolly Partons and the you know. Uh, those guys and Kenny Rogers. You know. In fact, we used to double bill with them sometimes uh, to get your tickets. You walk in the Aladdin, and one uh, was for the Dolly Parton and uh, you know Kenny Rogers, and the other one was Cheech and Chong. And the security guy would just look at the crowd and just say, "Okay, you're over there. You're over there," because <laughs> he could tell just by the way we were dressed or the, the the crowd was dressed. And it was it was a tough gig, but we got hired uh we had a one-year contract of, of, of appearing there three nights a week once a month and uh and Cheech and i did there we met a few of the old old style gangsters like one guy had his uh, uh thumb was missing and we asked him what happened and he, he said he tried to catch a bullet <laughs> <laughs> and uh in fact i was just in vegas uh promoting my latest uh, uh 
CBD line, which is Tommy Chong's uh, CBD. And uh, and I was I was with an old guy named uh, Harris, 86 years old, and he he was he's been in Vegas since the 40s. And so we sat, oh, man, he just told us all these great, great, great stories. You know? and, and so the, the, the gangster thing, it's not there anymore. It used to be. You know, not, they don't even have what, – what, what the gangsters used to do is give all their uh, deadbeat relatives a job in Vegas, <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, <laughs> Casino, yeah, yeah, you know, that yeah. show. You know, it was, it was similar to that. The thing is about gambling, it's a cash business. And whenever you're dealing with cash, you're going to find some little hanky-panky going on somewhere. But uh, it, it, Vegas now, there's two Vegases now. There's the old Vegas, and then there's uh, the, the new shiny Vegas. And uh, sometimes uh, they meet, but usually they don't. You know, sure. the, the straight's over on one side, and, the, and the, it's still there. Sure. It's still there. It's still happening. I, Anytime you find money, you're going to find gangsters. I got you. Um, this is a little unrelated, but I want to ask you this. What was the worst job you've ever had? A physical job. Just, just job. Doesn't have to be movie jobs or entertainment jobs. Just job. Growing oh, up oh no, no, no. It was digging... Uh, digging, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, trenches in, in, in swamps in Canada because we had to wait till it froze over. And so we were digging through ice and, and, and uh, you know, frozen ground. And uh, that was, and, and I had the whole band working with me because <laughs> I grew up, I always had a job. I mean, it was just normal. It was like breathing. You know, if you had a couple of days off, you can find work somewhere. Sure. You know, and so, so, uh, and I would, old-fashioned, I'd go down to the unemployment office, and then they would send you off to where they needed people. And so when I got to the point where I was, uh, you know, uh, in my teens, big enough, I got all the labor jobs when I needed sure. it. And so, so uh, we got hired by the telephone company. And the guy thought, you know, he, it was a white guy. And he, he kind of thought, oh, I got my, myself a crew. You know, like we were a, a, the band, you know, there was uh, Tommy Milton. He was black. And Bernie Sneed was black. And, and Floyd Sneed, when he, he yeah, there, we had like a crew of uh, Soul Brothers. And, and so next thing you know, we're, the Soul Brothers are all out there digging ditches in the, in the, in the frozen tundra. And, um, and, oh, and then they told us we had a gig on, on New Year's Eve, and, and the boss came by and said, listen, if you don't show New Year's Eve is like on a Wednesday or something, and if you guys don't show up the next day, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he fired us a week before we got sure. fired. Can you imagine how much work we did that week we were waiting yeah, right. for the last day? That was a bad day. idea. <laughs> so um, I want to... I want to play a little bit of a game here with you, and I call it sure. Smoke and Tell. Um, just briefly, I just have a bunch of names. Either just a yes okay. no if you smoke with them, maybe a really brief story because I have a lot of names, and I kind of want to go through it relatively quickly. Oh, okay. But just got give you. me a yes gotcha. no if you smoke these guys, and uh, maybe if you have a funny or a little story about it, let's hear about it. But uh, right off the bat, Bo okay. uh, Bob Marley. No. I met him, but I, I didn't smoke with didn't him. Didn't get to smoke with him? Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I smoked, but he never. <laughs> so you were with him? <laughs> Jimmy J Jimmy stayed in the bathroom the whole time, the whole party. I follow you. I think I, I think I know where you're leading to there. Um, uh, yeah. Jerry Garcia. I never met him, never smoked with him. Uh, Richard Pryor. I smoked with Richard. Uh, actually, again, he was like uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix, where, where I did all the smoking, <laughs> he did all the snorting. <laughs> uh, the Beatles, any member of the Beatles? Everyone except Paul. Everyone except Paul. Uh, but George Harrison, especially. <laughs> uh, I, I smoked with, Ringo was in the room, I smoked one time. Uh, John Lennon was in a room where I smoked with one time. In fact, he was kind of hiding. He was sitting on the floor. <laughs> In a bedroom, I thought I was alone. I walked in, and there's John Lennon, and so I offered him a, a token. He said he had immigration problems, yeah. and so so Paul is the only uh, uh, bucket list. I've never met Paul, and I haven't spoke with him yet. Gotcha, um, Johnny Cash. Met Johnny, but never smoked with him. In fact, I saw Johnny when he was a pilfer. 
and he was in, incoherent. He, he couldn't remember. He barely could find the stage. And then I met him when he found God right at the end at, at a Grammy or a, oh, at the Academy Awards, I think. And uh, and I met Johnny. That's the only time. But he was too Christian to smoke. Gotcha. Uh, Elvis. I don't even know if Elvis smoked. I know he was sort of anti-drugs, but also on drugs. Did you ever meet him? Did you ever smoke Al him? I never smoked with him. He was a big fan. He sent us. Uh, he sent us Cheech and Chong a Christmas card one time. But uh, no, he never smoked. He he uh, he was. Uh, I think he did mostly pills. But then again, I really didn't. Sure. He he was a, a, a food junkie. Um, Jim Morrison. Never met him. Never smoked with him. But uh, I came close. I think he met my. My now girl, my wife, uh, she was the girlfriend sitting on the beach one time, and she had a, uh, she met with uh, him, but I, I never met Jim. Uh, these are probably obvious, but uh, Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg. I smoked with Willie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in a, uh, a video with Willie. Uh, all my crazy friends are coming over tonight. That's when I met all my heroes. All my <laughs> short story here: uh, uh, Hank Williams Jr. It was super, super prejudiced. I had no idea, and so when I when I went to that video, I, I my uh, the first partner Tommy Melton was living in Nashville at the time, trying to make it as a songwriter, and so I invited uh, Tommy, who was very, very dark, very black, to uh, the party. <laughs> and to this, it was like being invited to uh, to uh, you know George Wallace party. <laughs> it, it was. It was very, very funny and very uncomfortable because the drunk white women kept coming up and saying, boy, I didn't know he even, <laughs> Hank would invite you here. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Frank Sinatra. <clears throat> never met him, never spoke with him. Miles Davis. Might be before your time. I met Miles. I met My Miles. was a funny guy. He was a big fan, too. Cheech and him were friends because he would uh, eat in the same, uh, same sushi bar. And Miles used to look at Cheech and go, weed, hey, weed, what's up? That's weed. Um, Ray Charles. I met Ray, but I never smoked with him. No, he's, um, he, he was my hero, too. Nice. Um, Stevie Wonder. Met, I used to jump with Stevie. When, when, when we were at Motown, sometimes we'd double bill with, with Stevie. And at the end of Stevie's act, he, he would dance because he's blind you had to jump with him and uh and his conductor no one wanted to dance with stevie because stevie was kind of mean he'd, he'd beat on gill <laughs> when he's jumping with him you know it hurt him you know he's like a quiet musician so we would take turns jumping with stevie gotcha. but uh yeah i never smoked with uh, marvin gay oh i love marvin gay man love marvin gay never smoked with him but we we were he he changed my life with his uh, what's going on album. Sure. As soon as he he opened a, he opened the door for a lot of things there, but no, never smoked. Uh, Martin Scorsese. I was in his movie, yep. but Martin he he I don't think he does. I don't, yeah, I don't I'm either. Sure, he That's does. Why I'm getting the dirt from you. I don't. I, I was <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think he smokes, but I, I think. Uh, you know, he he might do that other drug, but I, I don't, I, I, I can't, I'd never see. You know, Martin was a very, very, very cool guy. You know, his genius is working with geniuses. Sure. That's his genius. Uh, this one's sort of along those lines a little bit, too. Uh, just, um, I don't, I have no idea. Uh, Martha Stewart, I don't know if she even smokes weed. I think she does. Uh, no, she's with Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah, you asked me about Snoop Dogg. I smoke with Snoop Dogg. Sure, I know, course. yeah. But I, I try not to because he 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 bogarts a joint. <laughs> yeah, I got you. And I don't mind. I don't mind. But it's just a habit, you know. <laughs> when you when when you hand a guy a joint, you kind of just wait for it to come back to you eventually. <laughs> but it never does. It, it enters this uh, Bermuda Triangle of pot. You know? The Snoop Bermuda Triangle, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. What about uh, last one on my list here? What about Ralphie May? I don't know if you know him, but uh, Ralphie May. I know Ralphie May. I Newton, love Ralphie May. He's a funny guy. No, no, I tried to smoke with him, but he was too busy eating. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Got you. Um, so here, this leads me to this question. Everybody wants to smoke with you, but who do you want yeah. to smoke with? 
uh, could be past well, or present, besides... you know, past or moved on. Oh, oh, but if you could smoke with anybody, who would you want to smoke with? Probably Moses. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, I like I like Moses because I want to know: Did he really part the seas and all that <laughs> stuff, or was that was that just a writer's imagination? Um, just real quick on the Martin Scorsese thing: uh, What's it like to be directed by Martin Scorsese? What's it like to work in a Martin Scorsese film? You did After Hours, a dark comedy. I think we came out in the '80s. Um, you and Cheech did it, but uh, you did a little cameo. But just what's it like to work under, like, he's one, my favorite director of all time. Well, one of the reasons, like I say, he works with really, really smart people. And the great thing about Martin is that he can focus in on individuals. You know, he doesn't see people in a group. He sees people as, as they are individually, like all good directors do. And, and so when he hired Cheech and Chong, he just let us be Cheech and Chong. There wasn't, I don't think there was a word of dialogue mm -hmm. written anywhere for us. We, we just ad lived like we always do in our, our movies. And, and, you know, and, and that, that's the strength of Martin Scorsese because he, 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 he gives you the, the it's like being a, a, a racehorse, you know, and with the right jockey uh, because they, it's a touch. Mm -hmm. They just, you just not got to know where to touch the horse and where, where to get, you know, violent with him if you have to or, or ease up on him. It's all a touch. And that's what Martin, Martin Scorsese has more than anything. And he's also a, like a, a story that every movie he does has a story in it. And that's very important. You know, it's more important, really, you know, getting the, the gist of the story out. More, more so than you know, getting some phenomenal uh, performance out of anybody. Got you. Um, this leads me to another question: Did you ever smoke real weed in your movies or on the '70s show when they did the little circle cameras? Did Did you ever smoke <clears> real <throat> weed? No. Never? No, no, not on the '70s show for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, they were so uptight about that. That was funny because a lot of times we were on Fox. You know, mm -hmm. and and every time they did that thing, oh man, they would have all sorts of inspectors and everybody around to make sure that that wasn't too much smoke or not enough smoke or you know they were just well, it was illegal, and so we were getting away with something. Sure, and, and uh, but uh, it was the, the that was the seventy show. Was it, was the another one? Question? Uh, just in the movies, did you smoke uh, in any of your movies? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, like well. On oh yeah, in uh, every, every movie except Up and Smoke. Up and Smoke, we smoked uh, this phony, phony, phony stuff. Gotcha. But 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 as soon as I started directing, man, you know mm -hmm. there was no was real. no another phony <laughs> anywhere, man. I love that. So this leads me to uh, how much weed would you say you smoked in your lifetime in pounds? Of the what's the over under here on two times your body weight? Um, and here's a here's a reference for you. Three point five grams a day for seventy years is just sort of ninety thousand grams, or roughly two hundred pounds. Do you think you're over or under two times your body weight? I'm under. I, I, I'm I'm definitely under because I, I spent like three years without smoking anything. You know, that was when I went to jail. I had a not smoke before I went to jail. You know, pre-trial probation, and then during the time I was in jail, I made a point of not smoking because I didn't want to get violated. I didn't want to have to end up in you know being punished because I had to smoke my pot. Right. You know, and so and then a year after I got off uh, out of jail, I was on probation for a year, and so I never smoked. But the bad news is that I got uh, cancer. In, in that three years, I got prostate and I got rectal cancer during that, that during that time. Yeah. And so it, it taking me off my medicine didn't help, Certainly. but I, I have, I have the willpower, you know, to, uh, to quit whenever. That's the great thing about sure. pot. You know, like we found a, a, a plant in prison. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of genius people in, in prison. You know, this guy was a herbalist. And uh, he, he found this plant called lion's ear. And uh, if you take the leaves and dry it up, dry them in the microwave or just get an old leaf and crumble it up and smoke it like a joint, it will, it will make, help you sleep, calm you down, and, and it will give you like, like a psychedelic experience. So there was ways to, you know, that we, we did with, you know, that by. would fool the testing. Yeah, yeah the, the fool the te drug testing, but... Uh, no, the great thing about weed is that you don't have to smoke. Sure. Um, so 
Talk to me about being the world's most famous stoner. Um, you can get away with about anything. I, I, I call it the Tommy Chong effect. I've, I've been around you a little <laughs> bit. I've seen this in person. Um, I, I've heard a story. Well, I say also, I've heard a story that you and Cheech used to hide, like, uh, you know, pot in each other's luggage when you're on the road and stuff. But, I mean, I've literally nobody messes with you. And we, when we check in a hotel, it's Tommy Chong. They already know what's going to go on. Not, no problems at all. Like, nothing. Talk, talk to me about the Tommy Chong effect. Well, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm not a rebel in that sense. If anything, I'm a guru. You know, I teach. And, and I don't, like, you know, I learned, in fact, that's what I learned in, in prison. I turned the, the prison experience into, like, a, a religious retreat. And I started studying. I was studying at the time. I've been studying uh, metaphysics and, and spiritualism all my life. That was the cheapest entertainment we had when you're poor. You always had church. And not only church, but they would <laughs> give you things, you know, to make you come. Like, give to come to church, they'd give you a Bible and stuff like that. <clears throat> so my earliest uh, entertainment was in, in uh, like, Christian church. But when I was in jail, I, I went into, uh, like, a exploration. I wanted to explore all the different religions, and I did. You know, and I found out one thing is that they, are, they all are pointing in the same direction. And, and the simpler, the easier, the, the simpler, the better. Sure. And so what I, because we live in a, in a physical world as cause and effect. There's only really one commandment, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's that uh, karmic effect or for every action, there's a reaction. And so what I've managed to do is write off that because if, if you are really generous and kind and, and loving, uh, you get that back. It pours back. Sure. You, but you have to be original. You, I mean, you have to be uh, authentic. Sure. I, and that's you know? one thing and, else. And, and, that, and that's, that's my secret is just being authentic. If I, if I don't like something... I, I find out why I don't like it instead of like shutting it down. I, w I, I want to find out why I don't like it. And chances are I'll end up liking I'm it, sure. you know, because knowledge is so, 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 uh, so powerful. Sure. And, th and that's why that when I, you know, when they say the truth will set you free, it's not j just like free of what, you know, free from, from harm. No, maybe, but truth will set your mind free. Because once you learn something, then you can relax because it's part of you, you know. But if it's a lie, that can also be part of you too, and that's what you have to get rid of. You have to lose that part. I love that. And so what I've done, what I've done all my life is is uh, just do unto others, and it works so sure. well. That leads me into this next question, which is, you can get away with anything except making bongs. So that that leads me to uh, <laughs> Operation uh, Pipe Dreams. Um, Paris, um, and, uh, Paris's company was, um, uh, nice dreams. It was, the operation was pipe dreams, but, uh, the bong bust, I just want to, and I'll, I kind of speak for you real quick. You can just maybe just say yes. Cause I, I've never really heard you say this, but I just kind of want to say this here on the show. Um, you know, the, how are you not angry? Because the, the way this bong bust happened guys is it was, you know, they, there was one place you couldn't send bongs. It was Pennsylvania or PA. They tried to order it. Uh, this was the feds. They were trying to order these bongs. They, you know, they, Paris and the company would not send them to them. So they came out to California, and they asked to pay for them and, and take them on delivery and drive them away. So they paid for them, then they decided to go on vacation. And then they said, oh, just send them out. We've already paid for them. Send them, you know, the merchandise. Send them. They still wouldn't send them the bongs. So then they infiltrated the business with the fed. The fed sent the bongs. And then they went and arrested everybody at the company um, and essentially, of all Operation um, Pipe Dreams, 55 people were charged across the country. 54 people got probation or house arrest, everybody except for you. And the thing about that was, this wasn't even your company. This was just your face on this bomb. Um, it's, it's clear to me you were only prosecuted for nothing more than playing a character in a movie and normalizing pot. Um, and when they kind of came at the family, you were the man and said, don't touch my fucking family. I'll take the charge or I'll take it. I'll go to jail for nine months. And uh, I've never heard, I don't want you to really get yourself in any trouble here. But, uh, you know, how are you not angry? 
Oh, no, 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 no. It was actually, it was, you know, it's, a, it's one of those thanks for your question or thanks for the publicity. You know, I actually had to say to the feds, you know, uh, thank you for this chance to show the world who I really am, you know, because we don't get that chance often, you know. It's a choice that I, that I had to make. I, no, I could have beat it. I, I definitely could have beat it. And we probably could have got Paris and, 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 and my wife off, too. However, it would have cost so much money. And in the end, uh, I would have probably been arrested for something else because you can't, you can't fight the, the feds. If they want you, they're, they're going to get you. And, and I've seen that, you know, when I was in jail, I met a lot of people that fought them and then they ended up getting more time. Sure. And so I got some advice from a, a good lawyer across the street from me that he said, do the time. And by the time you get out, you know, by the time all the appeals and all that stuff, you'll have done your time and you've been finished with it. You know, that's the advice I was giving those girls that were that got caught up in the in the, uh, the school scandal. Mm -hmm. You know, don't fight it. Do your time and then then uh, deal with it later. But uh, but in my case, <clears throat> I, it turned out to be a really good move because, uh, number one, I I was treated like a hero. I mean, I couldn't have been uh, more more loved and blessed in that prison. I mean, everybody from the warden on down. Sure. Everybody, because we I brought a lot of publicity to that to that whole to the whole thing. You know, the the prison, the whole thing, and and uh, and then a lot of people in the prison. You know, I turned them on to the Yi Ching, and I and I I, I you know um, uh, gave. Ministered to a lot, of, a lot of people in there because he looked at me and, and you know, and I should be bitter, but I'm not, and, and I'm happy. And but why? And then <laughs> because no matter where you go, there you are. Sure. And if you can really, really get comfortable with yourself, then you can be anywhere. You can have uh, terrible jobs like I've had and find something good out of it, you know. And and that's a whole secret of life is that it's not it's not forever we're here for a very very short time in the scheme of things sure. but the one thing we are is we are eternal beings and so we're only here for uh, it's a play i used to think that that quote from shakespeare you know the world's a stage and we're players i used to think that was a great metaphysical uh thing that shakespeare said which it was now, I read the rest of it, and he wasn't, didn't mean it on that light. But when I look at it now, I realize that we're all here to learn, to learn something. It might be learning to be the worst person on the planet, but still, we're all going to go through every, every uh, experience there is because there, that's the meaning of eternity. Sure. This, this is getting deep. I well, love this it. Song, <laughs> this song never ends sure. this song never well, ends it just why while, while you were in jail just uh real quick um you were either cellmates or in the same pod with uh, jordan belfort the wolf of wall street uh did you haven't did he tell you wild stories while you were in jail oh it was it turned out to be the movie it turned you out got to the be movie the before the movie came out <clears throat> oh i got hey listen the movie only showed a <laughs> A fraction of the stories he told me. Oh, man. I mean, they were amazing. He's amazing. He's a genius. He really is. I've met a few geniuses in my... In fact, I met all the geniuses, you know, everyone uh, practically, you know, like Michael Jackson and, and all, all the, the whole the whole gang, Jimi Hendrix, the whole gang, and Jordan Belford up there with sure. them all, except on the yeah. other side, you know, he... Had had he, he was going to be a right. doctor, you know. He's such a genius that he he's one of those guys, you know, graduated school at thirteen or something, and and he was going to go to he was going to medical school because he had such a, a grasp on on, on things. But uh, the the teacher at the medical school said, "If you're here to make money, get up and leave now." <laughs> and Jordan got up and left. <laughs> got you. Uh, real quick, uh, what was your um, go-to jailhouse meal? We had a private dining area that, uh, again, you know, because I was uh, in the hierarchy, you know, it's like the Goodfellows uh, dining uh, situation. Uh, we had a, I was in there with a, a caddy named uh, Eric Larson. In fact, he's on the tour now 
with the Harris English. He's his caddy. And uh, Eric was doing time for fighting the feds. He was a user, but they got him in there as a dealer because he had a name. And uh, he fought it, but he, he lost, and then he got a lot of time. And so I, when I met him, he was running the garden. He, he operated this huge, huge uh, vegetable garden. And every night he would cook from that vegetable garden with a little bit of uh, chicken from the commissary. And we had these phenomenal meals, these big, huge burritos. He'd make the burritos so big that I, I took my little bit and I passed it to the next guy. <laughs> and so you guys ate good. Everybody had to say, no, no, that's yours. <laughs> that's yours, that whole thing. Um, uh, no, we, we, we ate excellent. And then every Friday uh, we would have ice cream. Uh, that was our treat. We'd have ice cream for dessert. Well, at least you got a decent food in there. Um, so yeah. this, um, we're getting to the end here, but uh, I just wanted to ask you this, kind of changing gears a little bit. But um, this is, speaks to California. You're out of, you got out of jail or whatever, but now weed's becoming legal, uh, recreational, I should say. Um, but you were a supporter of California's new cannabis recreation laws, which tightened, which have tightened restrictions on plant counts and home grows. Do you regret supporting it now? Or do you believe California will attempt to loosen those restrictions through the legislative process? Well, the truth is, you know, they're bureaucrats. Are, you know, a nice try. You know, it's like legislating spitting on the street. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's the same thing. You know, if you got to spit, you're going to spit. You know, and if you're going to grow, you're going to grow. You know, what, what's going to change, uh, you know, a sentence and that? What they do, they dangle licenses in front of everybody and they're now they're finding out like medmen are finding out that the answer either and 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 the pot the pot industry you know they it's lasted longer than the civilization has and it will keep on lasting the the thing is you know in reform yeah you know you know my my thing i i don't you know i don't worry about things that aren't going to last you know if they're not working i just ignore them but uh you know, the, the truth is, you know, marijuana is a medicine. That's how we got it legal in the first place, because it was a little girl that had epilepsy, and she could only uh, function after she had her medicine, which is marijuana. Sure. And, and, so, and so marijuana, all, all marijuana use is medical. Whether you're, you're having a, you know, you're dancing or you're playing sports or you're, why, why do you smoke it? to calm down, to get high, to get relaxed. And, and, and so it's all medicine. You know, when they try to treat it like alcohol, that's where they make their mistake. Sure. Because, you know, you don't need roadblocks when people are smoking uh, marijuana. If anything, you need beds so people <laughs> go to sleep where they're at. <laughs> yes, sir. So I'm going to kind of wrap up here where we're going to talk about your signature line of cannabis. But before I ask you that, I just want to ask you, how do we move forward with the cannabis movement with all the evidence pointing towards it being a benefit, yet we still have blatant ignorance on in uh, how do we convince the government to kind of back down? I mean, we're, we're making progress, but, how, you know, we're not there. Well, that's where the, the voting system comes in. You know, we've got to vote the people that are ignorant out, and we've got to vote the people that are uh, knowledgeable in. Yes, it's, it's that simple. That's all simple. We just have to do it politically. Right now, we're suffering from a backlash of the old oil arms bar arms dealers, oil uh, rich countries, that kind of thing. You know, and and that that's disappearing. You know, electric cars are changing everything. The cell phone has changed everything. I I, I maintain it's a cell phone that has got pot legal. Because every time you question anything, you get on your phone and find the the right answer, sure. <laughs> and, sure. and and uh, you you can't. What are, what are we going to go back to to uh, line lands? You know, the dial phones. No, and that's the same thing as the pot lodge. You know, when when they come to the when they come to the realization that all pot really is medical and it should be treated as such. You know, because people now. You know, the majority, they don't smoke to, to, to go party. They smoke to, to help their ailments, whatever it is, yes, help sir. them sleep. My wife, she, she has her edibles every night because it helps her sleep. And so that's the, the new reality. And sure. as far as taxes goes, if, if the, the city would just, uh, you know, or the counties and that would just relax and let people 
you know, let, 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 let the free market fall where it falls, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's all, you know, because right now they got this stupid thing about packaging, you know. And so all the packaging people are making uh, tons of money, but, but they're also making tons of garbage. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. So every plastic thing they got, now, now we got another problem. Mm-hmm. And, and and we don't have to be that way. We can sell our pot in paper bags. <laughs> so I, I might have lost you on the screen there, but I can hear you. So we're just going to keep. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I got someone calling me right now. No problem. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up. But I want to I want to ask you about uh, the signature line of cannabis that you have going on, the Tommy Chong brand. Um, okay. Formerly Chong's Choice, but um, yeah, you also have seeds with Paradise seeds that are out there. There he's back, everybody. Um, uh, you have some custom strains that we've done for you in Colorado. You have some candy bars on the on the market in California and Colorado. You're in multiple places. I mean, this is a blanket question, but did you have a favorite a favorite product at the moment out of all of your products? Uh, yeah, I, I I like the the the, the uh, flower you know that we we sell. I really love because we have the highest quality. But I also love the the pain. It's here. It's a pain uh, uh, reduction for your uh, aches and pains. You know, I'm a tango dancer now, and so I got sore knees and I got sore backs. And so I use my uh, cannabis, uh, uh, what do you call it, the pain reliever. It can be found anywhere. It's Tommy Chong CBD uh, pain relief. Beautiful, beautiful. So my final question for you, sir. Tell us something about you that people would never know. Uh... <laughs> uh, that people would never know. Oh God, <laughs> uh, I'm still, still, still trying to learn how to play uh, the guitar. Sure. I'm, sure. I'm still, I still practice, but I, I'm not there yet. Oh, I'm a tango dancer. That, that's what. Yep. I, I, no you love tango. You saw you on the old Dancing yes. with the Stars. Thank you that's so much, Tommy, for uh, doing this with me, my man. I really appreciate you giving us your time. And uh, once again, the man, the myth, the legend, Tommy Chong, everybody. Thank you, sir. All right, we will sign her off. There you have it, folks. The uh, guru of ganja, Tommy Chong. Uh, Yeah, next time I will try to get the man. uh, I'll send him myself a little tripod and some earbuds, try to deal with that echo. But... uh, you try to eighty. You try to FaceTime your eighty-two-year-old grandpa. See how well that one goes. Uh, I didn't really have the courage to tell him to stop moving the phone, but the, I think the audio is real pure on that. So uh, I don't know. It was really fun to interview that dude. I'm really stoked that we got to interview that dude. That's that's just that was a highlight for me. Um, but uh, yeah, there you go, Tommy Chong. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and sign this sucker off. Um, but uh, before I go. Um, Check me out uh, in Hawaii this weekend. I'm going to head over there real fast. And I think uh, we'll have uh, beans up at the Rio Rocky Mountain High booth. And uh, I'll be out. I'm not sure how much I'm going to be at the show as much, but I'll be out uh, sitting on some beaches, catching some waves and shit like that. So uh, aloha, bitches. Same time next week. uh, Same bat channel. uh, Same bat time. But uh, I'm going to sign this fucker off. Uh, Take care, everybody.